welcome to Two Black Girls, our podcast featuring two black girls. Today, we are talking about what you say, a topic really sitting on our minds and our hearts in the world right now as it relates to race relations and equality. Today, we do have two guests who will be joining us. Um, JD and Cortell are going to help us make sure we provide the male perspective as we're talking about all the different things that are happening um, in race in America right now. So, hi, Nicole. How are you? Good. <laughs> Good. Uh, just processing a lot day by day. Uh, it seems like every minute, uh, every hour, be it uh, social platforms or the news or just talking to people face to face, it just, I don't know, it's a prevalent issue and it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere anytime soon. So, yeah, I mean, I know. So when you and I were uh, prepping to actually talk about something else, it really hit us. You sent me a picture of an unrelated picture, which I'm glad you did because it led us to this topic here of Band-Aid deciding to now provide different color shades for Band-Aids. And it just kind of like, you know, dawned on us that all of these different companies are taking these approaches because it said specifically like in the wake of the racial inequality conversation since George Floyd's death, you know, we've decided to now have different shades of Band-Aid and it's a response. But to me, that's kind of confusing because I thought the conversations that we were having as a nation right now were mostly about like police reform and accountability and not necessarily about having Band-Aid shades for me to use if I cut myself. So I don't know. I just I'm curious to know, like, what do you think about just all of the different shifts that have been with folks and companies and moneymakers as it relates to just this well, my question, my overall question to any of this is, am I supposed to feel better? So anytime I see like a response to something like Band-Aid or Nike making Juneteenth a paid holiday or Starbucks changing their dress policy to allow their employees to wear Black Lives Matter shirts, I ask the initial question, am I supposed to feel better? Is this enough? Um, does this make me happier? Does this drive home the point? Uh, so it's, I guess it's a plus to see change because it wasn't like this yesterday, so to speak. And so it brings to light all these issues. And I guess some sense of a response is at least an acknowledgement from companies. But I go back to the question, am I supposed to feel better? Am I supposed to feel better that now that I cut myself, I can put on a brown Band-Aid instead of a almond colored band-aid and was I really thinking about that before like when I cut myself and put on a band-aid was the first thing that went through my head you know this almond shaped band-aid just lets me know that they don't understand my struggle it wasn't and so I don't know I'm borderline appreciative but then it's just kind of like I want this movement and these protests to stay on topic and I feel like we can get so easily distracted. You know, I'll just throw this out there because I know that you were very, very prevalent in the Sandra Bland situation, but I feel like so much time goes by and we get off topic or we get off point or we allow little victories to kind of dissuade us from continuing the movement. 
And I feel like if we had done what we were supposed to do, maybe with the Sandra Bland or Trayvon Martin, there wouldn't have been a George Floyd. So I really want this particular time, the movement to stay focused and not appreciate these little victories, but keep pushing, keep, keep pushing because it, as we're seeing now, and we'll get into the topic of what you say, it's a deeply rooted issue. I mean, to our listeners, I'm not sure if you know, Sherelle may have mentioned it like on the first or second podcast, but she works in teaching equality and not just to Black people, but to all people. And so, you know, it's deeply rooted and a lot deeper than the average person may realize in their bubble of a world and their day-to-day routine. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to sound insensitive, but it's, it's not enough. Yeah, no, I agree. I, to be honest, I don't care. I think, um, like I said, I think whenever the younger kids come up, it'll be great for them to be able to see, you know, like their identity represented with the band-aids and stuff like that. Cause that's not something that we were able to have as children, but to your point, I don't think that that like has impacted my ability, you know, like at the end of the day, I had a band-aid to put on my cut regardless of what the color was. Um, so I do think that it is opening up it could open up opportunities for non, I'm not even gonna say melanated folks because um, the issues are, are, you know, the r- racism and discrimination in our country is not just, let me figure out how to say this. The racism and discrimination in our country mostly affects black people. And I know that other minority right. groups feel some type of way about that, but it is what it is. Like, it, you know, the we're starting off at negative something and they start off at zero or one or two or based on however much government assistance they get when they choose to come, choose to come to the country versus, you know, we all know that we were stolen and beaten and brought here. So <clears throat> I think that it opens up an opportunity for folks to be like, dang, you still not happy. Like we gave you your own bandaid, you know, like you still not, you know, and then when you have people who do have like all this money and they're making all these decisions, I feel like the conversations in the rooms really are, coming from the lens of what can we give them to shut them up type of conversation rather than how are we actually solving issues and listening to what they're saying because that's that's what I'm saying that was the first thing I said we have been or we I say as in black folks mostly have been protesting about literally police reform that's what the signs are saying police reform black lives matter stop murdering innocent black people unarmed men but companies are coming out here saying Oh, now we have band-aids. Oh, now we'll pay you for Juneteenth. Oh, yeah, we'll let you wear this, you know, this little sticker. Oh, we do believe that there are racial inequalities in our country. Like that is not that's you are are you listening? Because those aren't the words that I used <laughs> on my sign, you know, that I had when I so <clears throat> I don't know. I think it's um it's offensive in a lot of ways. And I know, like, and to your point, like you said, I'm an educator, and so I have these like weekly <sighs> calls with other educators um who are black and white actually now that i think about it we're we don't have any other racial groups to represent it that i know of let me say that people who look like they're either black or white um are on these calls and one of the comments that came out last week when we were talking about this book because we're reading a book about anti-racism and anti-racist teaching and they were like i we just realized like they as in the white people were like we just realized that what do we have to lose you know, like it's this is such an emergency and we just have so much work we need to do. Like, what do we have to lose? Why are we doing this? 
And so then a white guy on the call said, well, I just want to acknowledge that that may be offensive because Trump says to black people all the time, why wouldn't you vote for me? What do you have to lose? And I was like, yeah. And as a black girl, I'm offended because I have a lot to lose. Like, how, come on, white girl with your privilege. Talk about what do I have to lose? You Right, nothing. You still going to have your job. You still got your family that owns all these acres in Massachusetts. That is not my life. So you can't just be like, let's just go out there and do all these other things because at the end of the day, we're going to be good regardless because that's not the reality of black people in our country. <clears throat> so I, I don't know. I definitely have a, all these just mixed emotions about what that means in my role because like you said I do teach people about equity and I'm having these hard conversations about how things that people say and the things that they do particularly towards kids affects kids and how they view themselves and how they like grow to be as adults um but what it's almost like what is the point of even having these conversations to help kids if adults are still walking around here saying things like to black people well what do you have to lose yeah, yeah. So, so because this is such a robust topic and it can go in, in, in several different directions, today we really want to hone in on what's being said. So, you know, one of the angles of this is um, why people don't understand a lot, but they especially don't seem to understand why we're angry, why we've been angry, why now there's such a huge movement about. Um, the unfairness, so to speak, when we've all had, quote, the same opportunities. So we want to get into specific statements that they say that have pissed us off, continue to piss us off. Um, different things they're saying now in response to the movement that show that they really don't get the point and how we can better educate them if you're patient enough, like my friend, or how you just stoop right on down to their level, like me. So. <laughs> I'll give a disclaimer that we shouldn't be getting petty with them, but you know what? You catch me on the right day and I'm going to act stupid right along with you. No, I don't understand why I'm angry. But anyway, so let's just get right on into it. So top statement um, that really gets me that they say, I don't see color. Well, uh, Yes, you do. <laughs> you should see color because there's a color problem. <laughs> and if you there's don't a color problem, <laughs> I mean, there's a color problem. That 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 blanket statement doesn't make me feel any better, and it only helps you sleep at night because there there is color, and there is a color issue, and there are different opportunities based on what color you are. I think that's the first thing that we need to all realize and understand and acknowledge. Um, you may be on the wrong side of the tracks as far as color is concerned. You may not have capitalized on the color that you are, but there's still a color issue. Um, and it affects your your history and heritage and what opportunities you have. So that's that's got to be the top one for me. Um, Sherelle, I'm sure you hear various comments oh. every day, all day. What's what's your top favorite I don't get it. Girl, I don't know. I you right because I do because that's what I work in, and I don't even I don't internalize them usually uh, because I just chalk it up to people are stupid. But I do think that. So I'm I'm curious to hear because I think that what we hear as Black women is very different probably than what JD and Cortell hear as Black men. That's true. So, <laughs> so I am curious yeah. to hear like what are people saying to them um, that's just reckless and out of, out of hand. 
All right, so I guess I'll I'll start off on this topic. Um, my name is JD. I'm an Atlanta native, so uh, that's giving me an interesting uh, perspective on everything in light of what's been going on lately. Um, so being from Atlanta, uh, coming home from college, I worked all my part-time jobs were in Buckhead. So if you're not familiar with Atlanta, Buckhead is a very rich. It's known to be a rich uh, side of town, majority white. Um, Lenny Small is around the corner. So I worked at a liquor store there for a couple of years. So um, one of the things that always used to kind of get under my skin was um, the fact that when I told people I was going to college, it was more like a pat on the back, like, oh, good for you. Like, it's, it was surprising that I was going to college and doing what I needed to do, um, which really kind of hits on the whole mindset of everything that's going on. Um, it's a deeper issue. I think that one of the things people need to talk about is the perception uh, the different perceptions when you see me because of the color of my skin. A lot of the assumptions that you make are always negative. And I think that's one of the biggest things with, you know, just race relations, um, you know, in the country right now is the perceptions are always negative. Um, you know, people never really talk about like white, what they call white privilege, but that's one of the things that comes out of that. If I walk into a job interview and somebody white is next to me, what you'll assume about them will be more positive than what you assume about me. So I think that's one of the things that um, people need to talk about a lot during what's going on right now. Um, and I think that that'll kind of that's that's the root of everything that's been going on. I don't know if you can kind of agree with me on, on with that or not. Um, man, over there. before we jump to Cortell, you used to have yeah. dreadlocks. So what made you decide to? Yes. Them? Yeah, that was that was a huge part of that. Um, so when we were in college, when I was in Columbus before coming back to Atlanta, I got a lot of flack about that. Um, I don't think any employers that they would outright say that that was the reason that they didn't hire me, but I think it was definitely a part of it. Um, and then one of the, when I actually got a, like a decent job, it was because I was teaching in a lower income black community and they felt like the dreads would help me relate with the locks, would help me relate with a lot of the kids that I was teaching. So uh, when I moved back, I kind of made the conscious decision um, which was crazy because if you know me, that was one thing I never would budge from um, since I had my hair. But I made the decision that, you know, if I wanted some things to change, that that was one of the things I was going to have to let go of. So, yeah, that, that played a huge part in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about you, Cortell? What are some things people just say that's just outlandish? Um, I guess I, I – oh, how y'all doing? I'm Cortell. I experienced uh, racism at an early age, just uh, moving from the north to the south. It was it was a big dynamics as far as, uh, well, how do y'all how do y'all afford to live in this house, living in a multicultural uh, neighborhood? Like, what is your what do your guardians do? What type of work do they do? How like how do you afford to have these nice things in your in your backyard or or, you know, have this game system? It's just it's petty stuff. And uh, I believe. I don't look at race. Uh, like I said, I didn't, I didn't experience that until I moved to the South and it was kind of different. Uh, Cause I used to see, you know, mixed couples all the time, but it's just, I guess it was new in the early nineties. And uh, I'm gonna pick it back off as far as what JD said, uh, as far as just, you know, just growing up and uh, like, I used to have dreadlocks as well. So going on different job interviews, you would get stereotyped and, and looked at a certain type of way, just because you, you know, you wearing your natural hair. And I remember after I cut them, it was like this big, this big difference as far as working in cor corporate America, they would always say, well, you know, you look a lot better with your haircut as yeah. opposed to wearing your yes. natural hair. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, 
that was a new thing for me trying dreads. It was just like my people accepted it because they knew exactly what it was. But coming from uh, you know, the Caucasian community, it was just different. You know what's what's crazy about that, man? Um <laughs> if if it was the other way around and someone was walking into not black was walking into a black business and trying to get hired, I don't feel like they they feel like they have to make those those decisions to get the job. Like they don't have to we don't, I don't know, I'm not say we don't have standards like that, but they don't, they don't have, they don't feel the pressure of having to make those adjustments to be able to, to get hired by us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you, if you, if you notice, like, uh, depending on who you speak with, uh, if they're, if they're Caucasian or a different type of uh, ethnic group, they'll, they'll let you know, well, you know, such and such, this guy came in here and he had, it was wrinkled pants and a regular t-shirt and, you know, they, he, he just got the job as opposed to, you know, this young black man coming in here, you, you, I mean, you almost have to wear like a suit and tie. You have to be like casket sharp. You know, you got to set the standard for them to look at you a certain type of way as opposed to them just, you know, right. viewing you from your intellectual. So, yeah, that's real. I, I know I know for sure I've had those issues. I know, uh, Nicole, you we've talked before about how you've been in like the same arena for a while. Um, I would imagine it would be equally as. um rigid for you because you do work in like the financial banking world um but i know definitely i know people have said that to me because i'm I'm natural so i've i've definitely had to deal with uh folks not even just uh white folks but black folks will even will even say why did you go to that interview with your hair curly um because it's like I need to be polished. I need to have my hair pressed. It needs to be straight. I need to look a certain type of way. I need to look like I'm assimilating, to be honest. And then that's what mm-hmm. makes me seem to be less angry, less threatening, more qualified for the job. But I don't know if that's been your experience. I would imagine it is, but I don't know if it has been, Nicole. Well, I. it's funny. I, um, being, you know, banking is still a, a white man's, playground. So um, I get more subtle comments like um, I may come in one particular day with a blazer on and they'll say, oh, you look so professional today. I'm sorry. How do I look any other day (laughs) that I'm in here? Or, um, you know, we may be in a meeting and it's I actually have a speaking part. And so, you know, I have to present on a particular topic where I'm discussing a particular subject. And it's just kind of like you said that so well. Yeah. Because any other time I'm talking to a customer or a fellow uh, constituent that I don't have big words and know how to, I mean, it's not like I come in the door, yo, 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 and then I clean up for the meeting. I speak the same when I'm at work, the whole time I'm at work. So what does that mean exactly? Um, So I just, I, I get little subtle comments like that. And I, I have to decipher the person it's coming from. Um, sometimes I think it's an intentional dig. Other times it, I just kind of shake my head because it's just like, this is another one of those things that you just don't realize is offensive. Mm. Yeah, I think uh, one of the other things too is coming from the South. You know, a lot of people have, especially from Atlanta, a lot of people have accent from here. Like if you talk to somebody from Atlanta, you can hear that they're from Atlanta. One of the biggest things I get is that I don't sound like I'm from the South. Like, they're like, oh, you, you sound, you speak so well for being from Atlanta. I'm like, well, how, how else am I supposed to sound? Like, we all talk to speak in standard American English. 
to communicate. So what what does that mean <laughs> as far as my speech is concerned? But I, I get I get that. I've gotten that a lot too. Mm-hmm. Or that you're articulate. That's their favorite word. I don't know. I will say so. I know that I'm. Um, I, I I kind of enjoy making. Uh, I'm not gonna say kinda. I enjoy making other cultures um, uncomfortable. So when they say things like that, I'll ask, um, or like I'll be very intentional about um, being very just casual when I'm talking. When in meetings and stuff, I'm very casual. I'll be like, "Okay, girl," to everybody, and they'll be like, "What?" You know, because I like the fact that they're trying to figure out how 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 is this person who talks like this? How does she have this job? And did she really get these degrees? And, you know, like all this other stuff. Cause it's like, why can't I, why can't I sound regular? Why can't I talk like how I talk to other people when I'm around you? What does that have to do with my ability to do the job? Especially since I, you know, in my mind, I feel like I know I'm smarter than them. So why can't I sound how I want to sound? Um, right. Yeah. I don't know. So what do you, uh, what do you feel about like, since we're talking about speech, how they try to, how people try to use, I guess, like colloquialisms, like famous phrases when they're talking to you, like, hey, what's up, girl? Or like, you know, let me, let me get it, let me dap you up. Or what's going on, bro? Like, how do you feel when people approach you in that situation on a professional level? I know I'll say if a white, because I just had this conversation, a, a, what, one of my white teachers who I don't work with, so we don't have a relationship like that, um, emailed me and was like, girl, let me tell you. So then I, when I talked to her on the computer, I was like, oh, we friends. And then she was like, no. I was like, oh, so why? Mm, I'm not your girl. We're not friends. Let's keep it how we need to keep it. You know, so she was like, whoa. Because she's heard me say that to, I mean, for real, because we're not. Don't talk to me like that because I'm not your friend. But I don't know. But I, I don't right. have that problem. I do have white teachers who I'm cool with. And we do talk like that with one another. But we have that relationship. But don't assume because you hear me saying this to other people or you hear other people saying that to me that we got this same type of relationship because we don't. And like I said, I don't mind saying something about it because I'm not going to be uncomfortable. You don't want us going to be uncomfortable. You're choosing, you're making assumptions that you shouldn't be making. Yeah, I, I would say um, the a lot of my work is, is in customer service. I'm always facing customers. And that's one of the things that used to get on my nerves. So like if you like saying for sheezy and for sh- like that, that's not even cool <laughs> with black people. So don't even approach me like that. Like the, I, I, as soon as I'm like, okay, yes, yes, sir. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd immediately correct it in the, in the way it's supposed to sound. But you don't, for people listening, don't do not do that. Just don't do it. It's offensive. <laughs> Especially when I'm trying to come at you with my best professional self. Don't do not do that. Don't do that. I mean, I guess I can piggyback off that. It's just, you know, just being in customer service and being in that environment. Um, I haven't experienced too much of uh like slurs like that because i guess i just give from my demeanor it's like <laughs> it's no game i'm not here to go back and forth with you as far as words anything like that i mean i, I used to let my customers know like off the rip i do not play any games so let's <laughs> let's keep it strictly business just, even employees as well uh yeah Me? yeah I, I used to have that it was just that demeanor i had and you know i had a couple white uh colleagues that you know me and them were kind of like close and I would let them slide just in not too much racial slurs, but I mean, you know, as far as dapping up or, you know, saying what's up, homie, just, you know, nothing. They wouldn't cross the line. Just put it like that. It's like I get the topic, but I, in my experience is like I used to just let people know, I, no, I do not play any games when it comes to racial or anything like that. Like, so let's just keep it. You know, I'm going to respect you. You don't respect me. And that's just what it's going to be. Yeah, I, I, I think it's because my thing is. 
if I, I get you trying to find some way to relate, but hit me with right. something else. Like I could talk about, I could talk about what's going on in the world. I mean, I'm a little traveled. <laughs> I could talk about going to some other places. So, I mean, you could try to, try to, try to hit me with some of those topics. If I can't respond, then I'll just let you know, I'll defer back to you, but you can engage with me on an intelligent level and not try to reach to the lowest stereotype of what For black sure. men are to try to make some type of connection. So I guess that would be my, my biggest thing. I, th- I, I think so too. And I also think as far as like, as far as them making us feel uncomfortable in these settings, we need to do the same as far as with them. It's like any chance we get, we need to push the envelope, you know, and just. Oh, so you don't put no shit in your Kool-Aid, huh? I like that. <laughs> Almost it's just straight. Look, we need to we need to let them know, you know, this is not a game. This is, It's been going on for too long. You know, I was just reading on Facebook earlier today about the young black man just sleeping in his car at Wendy's. I don't know if he was intoxicated or what, but, you know, just reading the blog, we don't know exactly what happened. But, I mean, this man just got killed less than 24 hours ago. So it's like enough is enough. And it's been that way for, for years. It's just all this stuff with all these platforms and things and stuff that we're seeing just on the constant it's like it's time out. We need to. There's no more slacking as far as you know. Leaders, uh, people that are playing their role. It's time out. We need to push the envelope every time. We need to consistently stay on their neck about this. Because I mean, if we slack off, you know what I'm saying? It's like it's just gonna go by the wayside. I agree. I like that you said, especially people who play a role, because that's what happens. People literally, they just they're told. This is how I feel about uh that crazy man, Ben Carson. He is so crazy, but he's clearly like in his position because, you know, the orange man needed a black man. And Ben is all about just whatever it is, because they kept asking him specifically, like, did he feel like George George Floyd getting murdered was bad? And he started talking about how people need to learn how to protest peacefully. What? That's not what they asked you. They're specifically asking you, black man, if you have a problem with the fact that this black man was murdered um, by a police officer, and you talk about protesting. Like, <laughs> they need to be confronted, too. Yeah. You know what's, what's crazy about Ben Carson? Um, so <laughs> the the Ben Carson we're seeing now, is it, it's totally overshadowing what he actually, his actual accomplishments. Like, the man is a successful surgeon. Um, and it is just crazy to see him do that, man. My mom used to make me read his book every day on the way to school. And to see him performing in that manner when you have uh, the ability to actually speak up for black people is just crazy. It is, it's, it's it insane. It makes me think about the, uh, <laughs> I always, every time I think about him, I think about the Undercover Brother movie when uh, Eddie Griffin, he mayonnaise and then he started wearing the Argyles yeah. and the, the plaid shorts and the, <laughs> that's how I feel about it. Like who, who gave him mayonnaise? <laughs> like we need to give him some mustard so he can get back to regular. Something, some hot sauce because he's just out of control he really is <laughs> okay so then what about because i know that we're talking a lot about just like white black like that dynamic but um i'm a fan of insecure and they just had an episode recently where um molly got into it with her asian boyfriend's brother because she was talking about how they were being racist towards her with the towel which they were and then her racist brother I guess boyfriend's brother, because he's not technically a brother-in-law, was asking her, like, why do you think it's about race? Don't you think we also get discriminated against? And she was like, no. So what <laughs> what what about that? Like, what about these other people who aren't necessarily Caucasian white, but they still benefit from checking white ethnicity on their census, um, saying things like, 
it's not always about race. Black people are just angry and trying to play the victim. I think that they, I don't want to say that they don't experience anything because, you know, we take into account situations like 9-11 or, um, gosh, I forget the other situation, but it immediately makes us look at them as a whole negatively. So like, you know, the Muslim clash, then the Asian clash, but it's based on like when big situations happen. I think day to day, there's not that underlying prejudice against them and they get to come and live the American dream. I mean, it's almost like a pamphlet is handed out, you know, come to America, sign up for these programs, follow these rules and boom, here's the equation. Um, my stylist has, and I, I'm not picking on a particular race, but you know, this is an example. She has an Asian friend and she told her, we basically have a two year plan. We give ourselves two years to move to the US, start from scratch and come up. And it works for them. Literally, it works for them. So they, you know, one gets over here and they they open businesses and they they work. And I'm not taking away from the fact that they work hard or that they work long hours or that they're true entrepreneurs. I would absolutely agree with that. And and I'm not saying that they don't do good work because obviously even we as black people love to patronize their businesses. We'll patronize their businesses before we patronize our own business. Um, and they provide a service that you wouldn't find the average person doing. Okay. So I'm not taking away from any of that, but what I'm saying is they get almost a script on how to come over here and get it right. And you have to wonder if, if the script is out there and if the formula is tried and true, what are we missing? What, what, what's the problem? Why can't, why can't we follow the same script or do the same thing and well, be successful? But I think that that's what they say. They say, why can't y'all follow the same script and be successful? But what's not being acknowledged is that the script is being kept from us. So I think that's the difference that other cultures who are non-white aren't acknowledging. Like, just like how you said, they're saying how they give themselves a two-year plan. They come over here, they start from scratch, they open businesses. Like who gives them those businesses? The white business owners who are living, who are choosing to give them loans? Because there are black people who can't get loans. And then who's helping them do it? You know what I'm saying? So like at the end of the day, like I said, they may be starting from scratch. Like they may have came over here with a with a hundred dollars and whatever, but the system is willing to a lot to work with them so that they can be successful. Whereas this, because the system is actively working against black people, we're starting at a deficit every single time. So they can walk into a place and get a home loan that we can't, and they can walk into a place and get a business loan that we can't, and they can walk into a place and they can live 15, 20 people deep or have 15, 20 people just loitering on their property and cops won't stop them. And we can't, you see, what I'm it's just so many different things that have been designed for us to be unsuccessful so when so that's that's what my qualm is with these other people, because it's like I'm not trying to discredit or discount your hardships and your hard work. But let's not pretend as though you aren't also having you're not you are also benefiting from this white privilege. At the end of the day, you are benefiting from white privilege that black people just do not have access to. Well, I agree with that. I, I think that um, if we had to line it up we're the crab at the bottom of the barrel. I mean, I feel like 
and I could be wrong, but in my experience, I feel like white people as a whole pick a bottom. They, 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 they themselves are at the top, but they have to pick a bottom. And so it's like, I can't feel superior up here if I can't look under my shoe and see somebody or something. And I think that by default, it's black people unless and until something big happens where we can immediately look to another culture of people to blame. And then when that incident's over or when we clean that up, then it's back to the default bottom of my shoe, which is black people. And so you're right. They do benefit from that. But I think that's because white people already have a predetermined bottom. So, you know, what's to help Asian or what's to help Japanese or what's to help you know, um, these other races come over here because at the end of the day, for whatever reason, you're not as much of a threat as if I let the black man come up and open businesses and, and gain wealth. Yeah, I, I think, um, again, the if you look at the stereotypes that people give us versus even Asian people, if you see an Asian kid in a classroom, what's, what's, what's going to be the assumption? He'll be valedictorian. He, he's, the, he's the smartest person in the classroom. Like all the stereotypes for us always start off from some negative base and all the other, um, a lot of other cultures and ethnicities, theirs are more positive. Even with Asians, like I said, Asians, they're known to be smart. Um, even Latinos and Mexicans, they say they're hard workers. Jewish, you're known to be good with money. You're known to be, all those are positive stereotypes where the most, of the most of the ones that we get coming off the rip are always negative. We're known to be thugs. We have poor diets. We can't manage money. I mean, a lot, some of that, I mean, it's true in every, and you know, with everybody, but um, a lot of the stereotypes that people see automatically when they see us are automatically negative. And I think that has a lot to do with it. Okay, so here's the bigger question. And I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer, but, you know, my, my strong Black people, does this really ever turn around? I mean, we're talking about essentially changing the psyche. And I'm not talking about the hope factor. I'm talking about the reality factor. And the reason I say that is because we have people in office right now, hello Mnuchin, that was directly asked if he believed that there was systematic racism in America. And he said no. And he wasn't asked once. He was asked six times and they reworded the question in all the different ways you can reword it from direct to indirect to just rearranging the words in the sentence to create a different syntax. And he said, no, I'll repeat myself, no. I'll say it again, no, I don't think that there's systematic racism in America. So these are the people we vote in. I mean, I don't know who voted for him or how he was appointed, but he's there, okay? So does this really turn around? Can we change it? I think I, I think I think it does change. It gets to, it gets, it's it's gonna come to the point where I feel like it's not enough of us in office. Uh, I think if more of uh, African Americans were in office, and then a certain percentage starts to speak up, I think it'll piggyback off that. Uh, I think there's people just afraid. You know what I'm saying? They don't. They don't know whether or not there's going to be like backlash on their family. It's going to be backlash on their careers. Um, you know, how some of the uh, Caucasian peers are going to look at them, you know, as far as uh, where they get blackballed. I think I think it's a fear to speak up like that. Mm -hmm. Especially when you're when you're mm -hmm. when you're 
you know, what? especially when you're just up in ahead, like, like up in ranks like that. You know what I'm saying? I think it's just, it's just a lot that's gonna come down on that individual person, their family. You know, I don't think they want to take that risk like for the rest of the culture. You know, so I just think we we just need more people in the office that's uh, that's willing to come about just changing mm. the whole system. Um. I, and you know, before we we got into this, um, you guys were talking about something that I uh, that was that was very relevant. Um, really, it's more so about accountability. Um, that's I think that's one of the biggest. What's one of the biggest things? Like, if even if you're not the person directly doing the wrong act or making decisions based on um, some form of racism, the person next to you is just watching it happen as well. And they're 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 and a president has been set that it's okay for this to happen. So. I think the accountability needs to be changed um, to piggyback off of uh, what you said, brother, um, voting. Um, number one, educate yourself on who's in, who's actually up to be elected um, and then actually go out and vote. Um, change starts from a, from a mustard seed. So I think the vote, the vote is the start. Um, but also when you when you have the opportunity to engage in somebody about a conversation, just be educated and know what's going on so you can actually have that type of debate and actually try to bring about some type of change. Um, but like, like you said, again, man, just uh, getting people in office, making sure that we have politicians that can, can actually force the hand of those people that really can make some, make change happen. Um, I think is, is very important. Okay. So I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Mm -hmm. How do we make sure that we don't get a Ben Carson who started off right, but turned around or that we don't get a Candace Owens who from the beginning yeah, has no freaking girl. clue. How do you make sure you don't get that black? <laughs> you, know, I just, I, you know, I feel like they're all crazy. They stupid. I, I don't know. I think, <laughs> I don't know. Because I know, because what's, what's so disappointing is that this, the fear that, you know, Cortell just described is the same fear that black people um, experienced in the 50s and 60s when we were trying to fight for voting rights in the first place, which is so unfortunate. And so now we're in a place, mm -hmm. now we're in a time now when we're continuing to make voting um, inaccessible or misinformation is being shared or, or polls are being, you know, manipulated. Um, and so uh, as a, as a community, we're starting to lose faith anyway, because it'll be real. It's not hard or you let me get myself together. People say all the time, there's no point in me voting because my vote doesn't matter. But black people say that. Right. And so, but if you really mm -hmm. think about like, if we were actually going out there and voting, and we were educated about issues and different people, like you're saying, JD, then we would be getting the people in office we want. The people who are in office right now who are incompetent to that degree of this man, you talk about systemic racism doesn't exist and the orange man that we got, like they're only there because black people are not voting. Um, so I think because there are enough, believe it or not, there are enough white people and non-white or black people who are just as concerned about people like the orange man as black people are, who are also voting to not have orange people in, mm -hmm. you know, the orange man in office. Right. So, mm -hmm. but they have to work alongside us. We can't just let, it, it can't be the responsibility of just one group or another. Um, and even with this piece around accountability, right. like that is the whole reason why, because because account, accountability exists when it comes to how do we hold black people accountable? That's why we have all these laws in place to criminalize the community. That's why we have, you know, I mean, it's 
small stuff. We were just watching a movie last night where a dude was trying to just have somewhere safe to live with him and his son. But the government has this policy in place to where if you're in government housing, you can't have a, a former, was it a convict or something? Is that the word, yeah. the language they use? You can't have a former convict live there. Like the man trying to start over, but that's the accountability measure that you want to have in place, that you're doing these random pop-up checks to make sure former convicts mm -hmm. who aren't still doing bad things can't have somewhere safe to live. You know, so why is it that we're the only people being held accountable? So at some point, we need to hold them accountable. How are you going to ensure that you're doing the things that you're saying you're going to do when we do vote you in office, whatever color you are? And if you don't do those things, what are we doing on our end to get you out of office or get you losing funds or get something? Something needs to happen because we have more authority than we think. And I know folks were upset about Right. Because I didn't necessarily agree with the looting and stuff like that. I thought it was silly because I mean, people, they were not actually hitting their pockets by looting like that's not affecting them. you know so i thought that was silly but at the end of the day mm -hmm. what did come out of that where companies yeah. knew we need to have a statement because companies who were not making statements were being criticized and being told to be boycotted you know so then it's like oh well even if we don't believe what we're saying they're mm -hmm. gonna boycott us if we don't so let's at least make a statement true or false even if we don't have no people of color on our board let's at least pretend like we do you know so we got to at least have something we need to make some type of traction where people have an element of fear that they know that we are looking and we are wanting to see them actually follow through with the things that they're saying that they're going to do. Right. Mm -hmm. We have to hit the pockets because finance is are what I do. Us? <laughs> I'm segueing us. Are, are you really? Listen, listeners. I, okay. Listen, that All is right. my financial tip. So don't wait for it in this episode. Hit the pockets. That's <laughs> all I'm going to say. Hit the pockets. Mm. Because you know what pisses me off? You know what pisses me off? The only thing a white person has to do right now, or anybody that wants to, quote, support the movement, is put up a black picture, the, the black square on their, in, on their social media, or use the phrase Black Lives Matter, or the other day I felt bad for a black person, and it's okay. Uh-uh, that's not enough. Are you giving up property? Are you are you not passing go on the monopoly board and letting some some black person go ahead of you? Like, what are you really doing? Because it's just a bunch of lip service to me right now. And I guess because I'm in the financial industry and I'm watching the market and I'm watching these people continue to be billionaires, even though we're out on the streets yeah. protesting, hit the pockets. Do you have to patron this business right now? No. That stimulus check could go in the savings account for those of you who are just not getting it, okay? We could get ahead on our bills, but you have to hit them where it hurts. You gotta hit the pockets. Not Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but before this movement is out, if you really want systemic change, you gotta vote and you gotta hit the pockets. Have to. That's the only way they hear us. Because right now, I think it's just a bunch of supportive lip service. And I'm not saying that for all of them, but I need to see some dollars. I need to see some dollars from companies, from athletes, from from the average Joe Blow, support some cause, get these schools and these urban communities right, buy books, something. But I need to see dollars. Well, I have something to say, but I don't know how to follow yeah, that. It's kind of hard to follow that. <laughs> I, I, just, I, I believe we... We just need to come together and like like boycott. You know what I'm saying? I, I, this coronavirus has taught us a lot. There's certain things that we can go with and certain things we can go without. 
And uh, I just think, you know, we come together, put our heads mm -hmm. together and think of like a plan of what companies we're going to support and we're not going to support. We're going to support our own people and put our money and invest our, regardless of it. You know, if the service is not great, you know, we, we got to sustain that and just weather that storm and and go through the process. Let's support our own. Let's build our own mm -hmm. business. Let's, you know, come together with somebody and, and, you know, with the hair stores and, you know, just learning people learning how to do nails, like all these things. All this time that, and money that we're investing in these other companies, we need to invest right. in our own. Yeah, it's it's funny. I, I it's it, outside of the U.S. Man, protesting is like a, a, a it's a regular thing. Um, I can say even my my parents went to see uh, they went to Paris and um, they were in the middle of getting a taxi ride, and because the taxi drivers were protesting, the guy that was driving them stopped before they even reached their destination and put my parents out. So that he could go protest, he was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not finishing this route." <laughs> so I mean, and and their government has to, they start making changes because they see how how really bought in the people are. Right. Um. So we just have to be the same way. We can't be afraid to protest. Well, are you ready to say it right now? Ladies. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining <laughs> okay. us. Um, because y'all definitely. Right share a perspective that we don't have um like we are, we're common that we're both you know people of color but being a man and america a black man and a black woman in america looks differently a lot of times so we appreciate y'all joining us and helping us just kind of process through um something that we didn't even intend to talk about today it just kind of was sitting on our little spirit and our heart and we didn't even realize it so thank y'all for jumping on so um unexpectedly about this particular topic. Okay, so just to make just to make sure I understand Nicole, so no we've already heard your niche. Is that correct? Oh, well, I'll just say it again. Uh, so this is the financial piece because finance is what I do. Um, hit the pockets and make sure that you are really, really paying attention to where your dollar goes these days with everything that's going on. Um, so that we can really see some some changes legally, systemically. Um, and I do want to add the tidbit that for those of you who may not remember a while ago, they were going to put Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill, I believe. Just so you know, they feel no need to speed up that project based on everything going on. So um, that may not piss y'all off, but it bothered All me. Right. So that's it. Well, um, for Sherelle's Corner this week where I'm sharing gems to make us better. Um, it's really quick and simple. I just want to make sure that I'm saying out loud, and y'all will probably hear me say this out loud again, that I think that therapy should be free for all Black people. Um, I could go on about this on and on, which is why y'all will hear me say it again. But really, I just think that um, with all the trauma that we have as a people endured, um, at the hands of the system with our oppressive, with our oppressors dating all the way back from when they stole us from what we knew and brought us here and told us we didn't matter and how that has then affected us with all of the laws that have been put in place, such as Jim Crow and the modern day Jim Crow that Kanye West speaks about actually, even though black people don't like him anymore. Um, I think that it's important that we have all of that taken into consideration and that the government should pay for us to be in weekly therapy to sort through how all of that pain that we didn't put upon ourselves has affected our current state of mind 
and our ability to move forward as a people. Um, I also think that while therapy is sometimes affordable for some folks, it is not affordable for all folks, which is a disservice in itself. I think that's an equity issue in itself. Um, and that as Black people, we've got to stop feeling guilty about taking in the time and the work that we need to preserve what we need in order to be better versions of ourselves, especially since a lot of the reasons why we feel the way we feel and we move the way we move has nothing to do with us or our our direct lineage. It has everything to do with the intentional design of um, the country and how certain people were planned to be seen and treated. Um, so let's start some type of petition or something, y'all, to figure out how to get these people to pay for, how to get the government to pay for quality health care and quality um, therapy um, and not just some random person who pretends like they understand the, the experience of the Black person and they do not because we do need to have access to free therapy with folks who are actually culturally competent enough to acknowledge regardless of their race as the therapist or the social worker or whatever that the system is why Black people in, in a whole are just messed up the way that we are. Um so, yeah, so that is my charge. We can talk about that more in the future about how specifically I think that we should do it once I develop my little plan of action in my brain um, for future episodes. All right. Well, listeners, um, I want to say thank you from Sherelle and I because we are definitely watching the analytics of the podcast and we see you listening. We hear you listening. Um, we appreciate you listening. And we want to tell you to subscribe, leave messages. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to respond. Um, we'd love to get your feedback, kind of, you know, what you think about our topics. And um, I'm going to say protest your 24. So, you know, um, we've been managing it, but, you know, management sucks. So this week, I want you to protest your 24. And uh, Bye, we'll see you guys in two weeks. <laughs>